Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. So this episode that you're hearing right now was recorded several weeks ago, long after we have been more than aware that Black lives are not respected in this country, but before the killing of George Floyd. So if these episodes seem a little tone deaf for this exact moment in time, we're sorry. Please know that it is because of the calendar and not because of where we are emotionally right now. Please check out the website where we've posted some wonderful resources to get involved in supporting the movement for Black Lives at harrypottersacredtext.com. Chapter 8. The Wedding Three o'clock on the following afternoon found Harry, Ron, Fred and George standing outside the Great White Marquee in the orchard, awaiting the arrival of the wedding guests. I'm Caspar Turkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Huge thanks to our fabulous patrons, Andrea Libera, Michael Huerta, Erin Griffiths, Sharon Jones Forrester, and Joanna Stumper. Not only are you making Harry Potter and the Sacred Text possible with your fabulous patronage, but you also have excellent names, which I didn't trip over this time. Go me. <laughs> we also want to shout out our local group in Oahu, Hawaii, the Oahu Wizarding League, run by Alex Smith. And this is... One of the groups that I'm most excited to do a little visit to. (laughs) I was going to say, we would love to come and visit your group if you want to organize a local reading, maybe on a beachside location. (laughs) Have I made it to the Cambridge group anytime in the last year? No. Would I drop everything to go to Oahu? Yes. So, Vanessa, we're reading this week's chapter through the theme of independence. What story do you have for us today? So my story about independence starts, I think, in the way that a lot of our senses of independence start, which is when I went off to college, when I left home for the first time. I was 18 years old and I had been fantasizing about leaving California and like leaving childhood since I was 13 I had started writing in my journal like how I would decorate my (laughs) dorm room like I was so excited about finally being independent 
And then, of course, you know, I went away to college and I knew how to do a lot of things that other people in my dorm did not know how to do. And I was very smugly proud of those things. I knew how to do laundry. I knew, I don't know, how to set up a good study schedule. You know, I knew basic things, how to take care of myself. But one of the things that I really missed about home was that my mom always had fresh iced tea that she like had in this Mm. little jug in the fridge at home. And I could not quite figure out how to always have iced tea at hand (laughs) because like we had no kitchen in our dorm or anything. Right. Like the only resource we had access to as far as like the ability to make iced tea would have been the bathroom faucet, right? Like there wasn't any like filter water system back then. I obviously went to college in 1912. So like (laughs) we didn't have the things that you all have today. And then I figured it out. I could buy a jug and make crystal light iced tea with nothing but bathroom tap water and this like crystal light powder. And then I could always have iced tea in my room. And so by the end of the day of the first day that I had made Crystal Light, my friend Andrew came over to my dorm room and I politely offered him a glass of iced tea and gave it to him. And he, you know, drank the iced tea and we chatted and whatever. Now, what I didn't know is that Crystal Light iced tea is different than regular tea in that there's something in it where it will become moldy pretty quickly. And usually I would go through the tea quickly enough that I never noticed that it got moldy by nighttime. But like on the fifth or sixth day of this, I was like, oh, my God, this gets moldy at night. I have to stop doing this. It's disgusting. But it was like sort of a a private humiliation that I was really lucky that nobody else had seen that I had done this so wrong. Well, years later, Andrew and I were having dinner. We were like in our late 20s by then. And he went, remember when you had that disgusting moldy crystal light and you served it to me? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I had to like throw it on a plant. And I think it was your roommate's plant. And I was mortified as if I had like committed a crime. I had thought that I had like stumbled in my bid for independence, but that it had been like a private stumble. And it turned out that not only did I stumble publicly, but this person like hid this from me and felt sorry for me. And I think that that is part of figuring out how to be an independent person, right? Is that you make these mistakes along the way. And I think the conclusion to come to is that independence is a complete illusion. We are all interconnected all the time. So, of course, bids for independence go wrong. But I'm interested in talking about that with this chapter because this chapter is really about the precipice of independence. The Mm -hmm. kids are about to go off on their own. This is sort of like the night before they go away for college. And it's that tender age moment of like, are they ready to do it? Or are they going to accidentally serve people moldy tea? <laughs> also, I'm kind of terrified by a powder that can become moldy within a day. That I know. I don't even want to know what's <laughs> what's in it. Me neither. I haven't had crystal light since. <laughs> Casper, there's a lot to talk about in this chapter. Do you want to independently go where no man has gone before? I will make one small step for man and one giant leap for Potter kind. <laughs> On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so we're all preparing for the wedding and there's lots of decorations. There's lots of use of the color gold and there's balloons that sing and, and um, then all the guests arrive and uh, Harry's disguised as a cousin Barmy and looks like a Weasley. Um, and then suddenly Crumb is there and that's very exciting. And then there's the celebration and the service is always too short and that's true in this wedding as well. And But then there's lots of partying and there's dance floor. And then um, Aunt Muriel, who gave the thing to the bride, um, is talking with Elphias Dodge and like telling all of these things about Dumbledore. And Harry's like, oh my God. And then suddenly Kingsley arrives and says, the minister is fallen. Rufus Scrimblejore is dead. They are coming. Have you never been to a Catholic wedding? Because <laughs> not all weddings are too short. <laughs> okay, but I won't do a full mass. I'll just do a 30-second mass right Okay. Now. Are you ready? 30 seconds on the clock. I am ready. Everyone join in the hymn. We are in the chapter, The Wedding, in our lectionary. <laughs> Turn to page three, two, one. Here we go. 
So Harry and the twins and Ron have to welcome everybody to the wedding and they're placing a lot of people and Harry talks to Elphias Doge and he like gets to have this one-on-one conversation with him and Aunt Muriel is like all this horrible things about Dumbledore and Elphias Doge is like no I loved him that's not how it was. Ariana was not a squib she was very frail there's all this backstory Al- um, Aberforth punched Dumbledore over the graveside there's a graveside fight. And Harry doesn't want Crumb to go for Ginny. And then, yeah, the ministry's fallen. I got to the important stuff, the sex and the violence. (laughs) It may just be a flashback, but that's the good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I really love this chapter. I do, too. I think that it's full of some new characters. We get to learn more about Dumbledore. Harry's in disguise, always the best scenes. Crumb is back. I'm sad we didn't get to see Polyakov, but I feel like he was with us in spirit. <laughs> I know. Why wasn't Harry like, I'm Barney. I heard about your friend Polyakov. How is he? <laughs> I read about him in a fan magazine. <laughs> is he still spilling on himself all the time? So can I point out to something that I really fall in love with in yes. this chapter? I've picked up on something that I've never picked up on before, which is that it's a flirty joke between Hermione and Ron to say always a tone of surprise. Like when Ron says something smart, Hermione is like, oh, that was really smart. And he says always a tone of surprise. And then she looks like great in her dress and her heels and her hair is straight. And he's like, oh, you look great. And she says always a tone of surprise. I hadn't realized that was happening both ways. It's totally happening both ways. And it's such a cute, like, private, winky thing. And I can just imagine them doing this for, like, 50 years in their marriage. <laughs> and it it occurred to me that this is a sign that Hermione and Ron have become their own thing. Yeah. This is not a joke that gets pointed out to us because, you know, we're in Harry's perspective. And Harry hasn't really noticed this private joke. And it just occurred to me that it's the trio becoming a bunch of duos more and more. And, you know, we're going to see Ron storm off in a few chapters. And part of that is him saying to Hermione, are you coming with me? Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're starting to see that separation, that independence between Ron and Harry and Hermione is the crux. And it's so interesting because in this chapter, Harry is asked, are they together? And Harry's like, kind of, sort of. There's not been an official announcement of like, we're dating. But this use of language and that kind of in-joke between the two of them is this big step towards them being like an item that's recognizable from the outside as well. Ugh, that's so cute. Yeah, it also just gave me a little insight as to how lovely their relationship is. I think transitioning from friendship to romantic relationship can be really awkward. Super complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And this joke feels like such a nice tie over, right? It's something they've been saying to each other forever as friends. (laughs) And now it's taken on this like flirtatious, oh, you look good tone. And it mirrors, you know, obviously a big moment of independence that shows up in the chapter, which is the wedding itself, right? Like this moment when Fleur and William Weasley, known as Bill to you and me, you know, tie the knot. And I loved the um, liturgical language that's used by the person officiating. He says, bonded for life. It's not like you are now pronounced husband and wife, but you are bonded for life. And what struck me on this reading of that language in particular is like, It forms that little island, not separate from the rest of the world, but there is now an intensity of connection and a responsibility to one another that is deeper and that is newer. And of course, a wedding is a moment not just for the couple themselves, but for the rest of the community to recognize that relationship. One of my favorite things when Sean and I got married was now my colleague, Sue, who officiated the wedding, talked about how a wedding isn't just about the couple. And it's not even just about the community and the couple, but it's also about the couple and the community and this moment in time. For us, we talked a lot about like our gay ancestors, right? People who hadn't had the right to get married. We got married in 2016, very soon after it became the law of the land in the US. And so I I love that image that like you're forming this like little unit that's held by other units, right? So you're not floating off on your own somewhere. And so it's an independence, but it's held by relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was really wondering actually about the magic of that in the book because they do some sort of literal spell. So I was wondering like, is it a magical literal bind that binds the two of them to each other? 
And then what would that mean if so, right? Because we know like Lily's love is a protection for Harry. And so I started wondering, I was like, is divorce allowed in the magical world? Yeah, just think of Snape and like the unbreakable vow. I mean, is that the situation that we're entering into? Absolutely. And, you know, and then I started thinking about this language of bonded for life, which like, of course, even if you get divorced, you're always bonded for life if you've married someone. And so I was just wondering about that in this beautiful moment where they're creating independence. And I'm like, oh, if there's also some real risk in Mm -hmm. creating this island for the two of them and in saying I am no longer independent, I am tied to you. And yeah, so I just started wondering about like, what's the magic for divorce? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, I was thinking the same thing. And and the way that even if you do separate, you know, whether it's a separation on good times or bad, you can't undo the time that you were bonded legally, right? And you might have children or or shared property or, you know, all sorts of things that still keep you connected to one another, even in difficult situations. Yeah. And I want to say that I know that a lot of people can get divorced and really sever ties and move on like in a big and complete and significant way. But I think to Sue's point, right, like there was always that time, right? right. There was always that moment. And I, I love that description of Fleur. I mean, the text tells us that while her radiance usually dimmed everyone else by comparison, today it beautified everybody it fell upon. And when a wedding is good, Everyone who's there is reminded of their own loving commitments, right? If they're in a marriage themselves, they'll be reminded of their own wedding day. You know, if they're parents, they might be thinking about their children. I just love how the text illuminated that, like that this moment isn't just about what's happening between Fleur and Bill. It's actually a testament to love for everyone that's gathered there. And of course, that's what Harry realizes, right? When when Molly asks him to stay for the wedding, he's like, oh yeah, if I'm not celebrating this, if I'm not participating in this wedding, what is it that we're fighting for? And it's it's this lovely testament to love. I Yeah, I just really adored that moment in the text. I do think on this theme of independence, though, there can be a great loneliness to independence. Weddings can also make people feel lonely, right? Oh, yeah. And I think especially if you're somebody who really thinks yourself as independent and chose to not get married and chose to live a life alone, I think that even then, even in the best of circumstances, a wedding can make you feel alone. But especially if you feel as though you were never given that opportunity or you're widowed or right, like a lot of these moments, I think, can make what feels like independence on a good day just feel like aloneness. Oh, I would say it's not even just for people who maybe chose to or didn't have the chance to get married. Sometimes it's also for people who are in a marriage, right, where it can feel really lonely. I had an aunt of mine who came to our wedding who literally in the reception line as people were leaving the church service... She'd been looking at that point after my uncle, who's had severe Alzheimer's for many years, for a decade. And she just said to us... (laughs) You have no idea what you just promised each other. And if you knew, you would never have done it. Which I was just like, you know, through tears. And and I'm so glad she said that because like every marriage, it isn't always easy. And so to know that you're stepping into that commitment without necessarily knowing what you're going to experience, you know, and to, to have people tell you like, it's going to be really hard sometimes was so important. And so I think you're exactly right. Like it's going to be a full spectrum of emotions that that people will be feeling. We do see something like this, I think, with Aunt Muriel, who by all accounts, it seems perhaps was unmarried and is a very independent woman. She's also wealthy, which gives her a lot of kind of permission to act in ways that maybe she wouldn't And we see a little bit her delight in gossiping and kind of, I don't know, did you pick up on any sort of like, there was something going on between her and Elphias that I want to figure out. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, Ariana and I talked about this actually in the Women of Harry Potter episode that got dropped in the feed that, you know, Aunt Muriel is fascinating. And I think she is grabbing for these moments to fill her up all over the place, right? Mm. She's telling Fleur how to wear her tiara. (laughs) And then she's saying, my tiara was a really important part of the wedding. (laughs) And she's inserting herself into like all of these Dumbledore stories that like, she was not there. She was not a part of this. Like, she doesn't know this is all hearsay. But it's she's a great storyteller. <laughs> oh, yeah. She is definitely the person at the wedding that I would want to sit next to. But I do wonder if Aunt Muriel 
in part is like spends a lot of her life alone. And yeah. so in this moment is like really inserting herself everywhere, right? Like she even tells Hermione she has skinny ankles. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and like who notices the size of other people's ankles? <laughs> but I think that this is about her independence. And again, she probably takes a lot of pride in her independence. But one of the ways that she gets through the times that that independence feels like loneliness yeah. is by like really being involved everywhere when she is. No, big time, big time. I, I mean, the thing that really struck me in her conversation with Alphaya Stoge is like for her, it was a fun story. And for him, it's deeply personal. And I think in part because he thinks it's true, at least some of what she's describing. And, you know, we talked about a few episodes ago how his letter in the newspaper signified perhaps more than just a friendship. And I think that comes through so strongly now that he he loved Dumbledore and Muriel's kind of just playing with his legacy and his story. Yeah, and I think right that demonstrates her independence from Dumbledore. Exactly. And Elphias really sees his fate as tied to Dumbledore. Yeah. It's almost hurting him as much as if, mm. you know, Muriel was saying horrible things about him. Yeah. I think that's one of the hard things of whether or not they were married, right? He clearly feels like there's some bond for life, to use that language. And especially when someone's died and you learn more about them or people talk about them, you know, I, I don't think you can feel independent from it. We feel connected in a way that is, it feels like it says something about us in ways that we're not always comfortable with. I always think back to, we had a listener voicemail, I think back in season one, who described learning things about her father who was killed before she was born in a, in a horrific terrorist attack in Argentina. And she said, you know, I discovered things about him, just like Harry discovers things about James, which were really unsettling. And that that seeing how Harry integrates these stories about James over time helped her do the same. And I think, you know, what's so hard is that you can't be completely independent from what happened, but it doesn't have to force you to live in a certain way, perhaps. Yeah. And even if these horrible things were true about Dumbledore, it wouldn't mean that Doge's accomplishments on the Wizengamot would be less true. We're not mm. entirely implicated by the people we love. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Can we go to maybe a happier place for a moment? <gasps> Can we go to Luna? That's where I wanted to go. <laughs> She's the star of this chapter. She is the star of my heart of my life and of this chapter. Okay, tell me why you thought of her with independence. Okay, well, there are several things. First of all, 
in this chapter, Luna's like the poster child for like dance like no one's watching. Yes. Go Luna. But I'm concerned about her independence from her father. So we know that she is an independent thinker and willing to think differently than other Hogwarts students. Right. That she can like see all these things that other people are like, that's not real. But what she doesn't seem to be able to separate herself from is Xenophilius. And we see that with Mm. the gnome bite where she gets bit by a gnome. She comes and shows her dad and her dad is like, oh, if you feel any special powers today, like you can suddenly speak Mermish. Don't hold it back (laughs) because it's such good luck. But then Xenophilius walks away and she's just sort of holding her finger and like sucks on it. Mm. And Harry asks her, like, do you need medical help for it? And she's like. No, I'm fine. She doesn't say like, no, this is good or no, I'm excited. It seemed to me like it was maybe something that she was doing to please her father. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you love someone who is considered different by society, you will go pretty far out of your way to be protective of them. And I was just wondering if Luna is willing to see herself as independent from the trio and from Hogwarts students in order to align herself with her father. Oh, this gives me tingles of discomfort because, yeah, we don't see him go out into the field and be like, okay, gnomes nibble my toes and belly button, right? Like, right. It, it's kind of like a story you might tell a child to be like, you know, and maybe this is an older tradition that when kids get bitten by a garden gnome, which will, you know, be likely to happen if there's a garden now and then, that it's not something to be too afraid of because it's not a serious injury. And that, you know, gets turned into this story that it's good luck, right? Just like the tooth fairy might bring you a sweet or some money after this thing that would otherwise be terrifying, like your teeth are falling out of your mouth. But the reason it makes me feel icky is that unlike with a tooth, which is just like a natural thing, I feel like here she's not maybe putting a plaster on it or a Band-Aid or just magicking the wound away. And she's kind of left suffering unnecessarily because she wants to be faithful to her father's story in some way that like maybe she's going to be a world-class pianist right now. I'm really struck by your comment, Vanessa, because I'm suddenly seeing like she feels she has to maintain this loyalty to him in order to make him not ridiculous because they are pointed out as strange, right? They're wearing these very different clothes. They're wearing sun colors, which in itself, I'm like, yes, great look. I love it. But, you know, she doesn't want him to be made ridiculous. And so she's kind of protecting him at her own personal cost by by having physical pain. That's That's what makes me feel icky. Yeah, I just think that this is something that you know, so many of us know for various reasons, right? Whether you walked around with parents who had an accent or who needed translation or, right? Like where we love someone who we feel as though the rest of the world is judging. And I just hate the idea that Luna is maybe being inauthentic to herself mm-hmm. in order to to make her father feel less alone. Yeah. Which, of course, is in and of itself a very Luna thing to do because it's very loving and caretaking and, you know, (laughs) but but that's a line, right, of like, it's lovely to take care of the people you love, but not at your own literal self-harm. Yeah. We should talk about what Xenophilius is wearing, right? It's a really important moment in our understanding of the Deathly Hallows. He's wearing this symbol that's kind of described as a triangle eye. And Crumb has a very negative reaction to it. You know, he says, I walked past this sign in school. It was Grindelwald's sign. It's it's basically been called the swastika Absolutely. by Crumb. Absolutely. And, and the thing that really I felt so interested in was that, of course, the swastika is not, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It has a really rich symbolism in the Hindu tradition. And so often symbols in different geographical and cultural contexts can mean very different things. And so for Crumb, this is this is the most offensive thing that you can imagine. I mean, he he feels physically like he, he's like, I want to punch this guy if I wasn't at a wedding. And to Xenophilius, we don't yet know his associations with the sign, but it's it, it, it's so interesting that human beings are meaning making creatures, right? We're using right now the Harry Potter story to make meaning of our life. And so often the things that mean something to us can mean something very differently to someone else. And you can't kind of differentiate the thing from the thing it means. Does that make sense? There's no independence of the symbol from the thing it represents. Very quickly, those two things come very, very close. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we see that in this country with the Confederate flag, right? 
where like two sort of reasonable people can disagree about all of the things that it symbolizes. And it's like, well, you can't separate the history from the thing and they're not independent from one another. And then it comes down to, I think, a conversation, especially with the flag of does the fact it means this to you matter enough to me for me to change my relationship with it? Because I, I think we can't end up in a situation where it's like, well, it means that to you, this to me. And it's like, no, this literally invalidates your experience. And for Crumb, it's so offensive. Oh, it reminds him of the death of his grandparent. Yes. It's horrible. Yeah. And I mean, he ends up confronting Xenophilius later in the chapter we just see in the corner of our eye. So he, he goes to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of love Crumb in this chapter. Yeah, I I found it really pleasant that he was back. I also love that Fleur was the one who invited him. I mean, they had this really intense experience right at the Quadra Wizard Tournament and that she said, you know, I I want you to come to my wedding. Like, how beautiful is that? And it also reminded me that if Cedric had been alive, he would have been there too. You know, it's just such a, yeah, they went through this crucible experience together. And even if you don't spend a lot of time with someone, if it's an intense enough experience, and that could be summer camp, right? Like y- you feel bonded for life, right? You feel connected in this intense way. Yeah. I also really felt the absence of Cedric. I was like, oh, like all four of the four wizard tournament champions would be there. Yeah. Right? Um, can we just talk briefly about how messed up it is that, quote unquote, Barney tells Crumb that Jenny is taken? I'm like, no, she's an independent woman now. You cannot have it both ways. Yes. Like, you can't be the hero who goes off and prevent her from dating literal Quidditch stars. Like, you can't do that, Harry. It is so unfair. Honor her independence. I'm not saying you have to, like, go out of your way to set them up. But just be like, yes, she is very pretty. She used to date Harry. Like, maybe give him facts. She used to date Harry Potter, but they had to break up. And Harry is really bummed about it. But, like, don't lie. It's so messed up. And there's there's things that I completely understand, right? Like, he's kind of monitoring who she's dancing with without interrupting or doing anything about it. That I can understand, right? Like, yes, you're going to keep an eye on someone. People do this sometimes with their exes. Like, they've moved on, but they don't want their ex to move on. It's just like, come on, what is that about? Let it go. And, like, Harry hasn't moved on, and we know that Ginny hasn't moved on. So cute when she winks at him when Muriel says really loudly that her dress is low-cut. By cute, I mean hot. I love that Ginny's like, yeah, it is. It's low-cut for you, Harry. I was like, yes. Like, she's obviously not over it either. But then, like, have enough faith in Ginny's independence of mind that she wouldn't start dating someone right in front of you. Like this just is about the opposite of allowing for independence. It's about controlling. And it's just a really ugly moment. Well, and I think the inverse of it is a really sweet moment. We hear that Molly's crying because Percy's absent, right? On the morning of the wedding. And that's a moment where it's like, he is far away and she and, and has rejected the family and I'm sure also feels rejected by the family to some extent. But that's a moment where there's independence and like she wishes it wasn't, right? Like she wishes he was there. This, this is the first wedding in their family. And I felt his absence too and and that sense of stu- like just this, uh, I just want to strangle them all and be like, come on, <laughs> get it together. Because I mean, at the end of this chapter, the ministry falls. Like Percy's dedication to the ministry, Percy's just adherence and an obsession with his own career and his job is like, doomed it's doomed and it he could have been there this one moment of sweetness in this epic war that they're now in and uh, i just uh, made me sad it is so so sad and if like the upside of horrible moments can't be that you put petty disagreements aside then Mm -hmm. like there really isn't any upside to it Mm. Another place where I really saw that theme of independence was you know we learned that the ministry falls right scrimgeour is killed And so this idea of like an independent ministry, right, like a trustworthy institution, the central organizing principle of wizarding life, right, certainly in terms of its its institutional representation, has fallen. And so Scrimgeour's like physical body kind of represents that loss of independence. He's been a complicated character that we haven't necessarily warmed to, but nonetheless, it's a real loss to normal life in some way, right? That independence has disappeared. Yeah, and not only that, 
it just made me mourn the missed opportunity of Scrimjaw and Harry working together. Like, I mm. agree with Harry that Scrimjaw was making some really horrible decisions, right? About like using Stanley Shunpike as as an excuse and, you know, and not being honest with the media about certain things. But I still think he was more ally than enemy. And mm -hmm. I, now that he has died, we're seeing that, right? The ministry has fallen and Scrimjaw was standing up for an, a more independent ministry. And so it just spoke to me about the importance of compromise. I just like, I wish they had figured out a way to work together. The one final thing I'll say, and this is maybe just for extracurricular, you know, bonus points, but there's a wonderful commencement speech by the novelist Barbara Kingsolver that she gave at Duke University in 2008. And it's ostensibly about climate change, but she talks really beautifully about the experience of growing isolation. She's talking to college graduates, of course, and saying, you know, what will you remember from your time here as an undergraduate? Probably not your organic chemistry or the squirrels that were, you know, everywhere on the lawns, but it's the experience of having to trip over each other's lives as you left your dorm room, right? This sense of total interconnectivity to a point where it's annoying. And she said, you know, our culture will give you a story of you'll move into an apartment with roommates and then you'll maybe find a place on your own and then you'll move to the suburbs to have more space on your own and a car and basically this growing story of independence. And she says, you will look back at this time and you will remember most the sense of community that you felt. And I think we're seeing the trio about to set off on this really intense journey where they're so isolated from the rest of the world. And they will look back at this moment, right, when everyone was together with such like sweet memories as really the last time of feeling connected. So if anyone wants to have a beautiful commencement speech, I love that Barbara Kingsolver one. So we have the good fortune of doing one of our favorite spiritual practices, Lectio Divina, again. And I put my finger somewhere random and Casper, it's sort of a long sentence, but it's such a great sentence that <laughs> okay. I like can't bear to cut it up. So we're doing the whole thing. It's my Lectio and I'll do long sentences if I want to. <laughs> so the sentence is, wandering through the crowd so as to escape a drunken uncle of Ron's who seemed unsure whether or not Harry was his son, <laughs> Harry spotted an old wizard sitting alone at a table. <laughs> so step one of Lectio Divina, what is literally happening in this sentence? So Harry, of course, is in disguise. There's a, a local ginger boy in the village and uh, we've got some of his hairs and... Now there are two. Yeah, exactly. And luckily enough, there's some polyjuice potion just lying around. And so Harry is walking around in disguise and this man seems to think that the Harry's his son. So we're in the midst we're in the midst of the party scene. The, the, the wedding has happened and we're, we're in the celebrations. And he's at the end of the sentence, he spots Alphias Doge. So he's right. about to go have this conversation with Doge who's sitting alone. Hmm. Yes, 10 points to Slytherin. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so step two of Lectio Divina is, of course, allegory, where we invite in other stories in order to inform this sentence and sort of open our minds as to the potential hidden in this sentence. Hmm. And so I will read the sentence again so everybody can sort of take a nap as I read this long sentence. <laughs> Wandering through the crowd so as to escape a drunken uncle of Ron's who seemed unsure whether or not Harry was his son, Harry spotted an old wizard sitting alone at a table. Do you remember those late 90s, early 2000s college bro movies that Ryan Reynolds was in? And he was so handsome. Like Van Wilder or something. I'm not even sure I've ever seen one properly, but like a sort of American Pie situation where the, there's just like a lot of drunken people and there's one character that's like making their way through a crowd and maybe they're being vomited on or something <laughs> like that's That's what I'm remembering, just like imagining. <laughs> I love that sort of seeing this is like a scene in Moulin Rouge yes. for this uncle. This might as well be Moulin Rouge. He's like high <laughs> on absinthe. He's like, come what may. <laughs> I'm also just thinking of kind of maybe an Edward Hopper painting, right? Often like an in just one character sitting at a bar on their own, right? These kind of gray, scaly, just depressing images. And I think we see 
the person who becomes Elphias Doge sitting in a in that kind of like isolated situation. How about you? So I'm sorry to say that it reminds me of stories of like girls at frat parties, like running away from the drunken guy who's like, won't leave you alone. Yeah. And so this is is funny that this like guy thinks that Harry's his son, but it's probably not funny to Harry in this moment, right? It's like annoying right. and you're he's taking respite in a stranger, right? Like that's how upsetting it is. And also we don't know what this man thinks about his son. It might be that he thinks his son like they haven't seen each other in 10 years. And right. So, it's like a Percy situation. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why the confusion is there. And maybe he's like super resentful or aggressive or like we we don't know what's going on. So there is a hesitation for me in that. Yeah, I, lo- I love that reading of being reminded of characters who, who maybe aren't fully in, in control of their own awareness and bodies because of the influence of alcohol and the way in which they change. Yeah. Yeah, there's a very fine line between like having so much fun at a party, being just tipsy enough, and then Mm -hmm. it like can go one drink too far and you're like not fun anymore. I was going to say, this is taking me to step three because I like, I I don't drink, right? I've never drunk alcohol. And part of it was that like, I've never liked the taste of the many things that I have tried, right? And my my parents drink and, you know, I, I move through the world with many people who do enjoy drinking alcohol. But part of the reason why it's always been a little icky to me is a, I can't stand the idea of like not knowing how I would act or let alone the kind of blackout situation of, I don't know what I did last night. Now, obviously that's not what's going to happen with just a glass of wine, but listen, the way I eat chocolate, I need to be careful. (laughs) But there's also that sense of having experienced other people, especially as someone in, in school and then college, just being around people who were drunk, I found really First of all, annoying and then very boring. And so part of me (laughs) thinks that like the thing that I'm reminded of is being at a party when it makes that switch from like, everyone's having a good time. We're having good laughs to then like people telling the same joke for 18 minutes and me being like, "Mm, my brain is just working better than yours right now. And this isn't funny. So I'm going to go home and watch Golden Girls. (laughs) So that's honestly what I'm being reminded of. (laughs) How about you? I'm reminded of a big, wonderful wedding that I went to where there is a brother and sister sort of of the older generation. So like aunt and uncle to the bride and groom generation who weren't speaking to one another. And there had to be like coordinating efforts. Like one of them took ownership of the like ceremony and then he had to leave so that the other one could come for the reception. And so I'm just thinking of that. Yeah. How like. You know, there were like a million people at this wedding. There were probably like 300 people at this wedding. And like most people had no idea. And I'm just thinking about, you know, you're at a wedding with 300 people. There are 800 different experiences happening. Mm -hmm. And like maybe Elphias Doge is really happy to be sitting alone or maybe he feels really lonely. You know, there are moments where you're alone at a wedding and you're just watching people dance and you're reveling in how beautiful it is. And you're like, I could sit here alone and like, drink this seven up and just be happy forever. Or you can be like quite sad that you're not included in the festivities. And so I'm just reminded of how that felt like an illicit piece of information that I had about that wedding. Like Harry has this illicit piece of information that Fleur and Bill will never know that Bill's uncle thought that Harry was, you know, his son. But like this is Harry's real experience of the wedding. So step four of Lectio is we try to ask ourselves something that we feel called to, a concrete action. And again, I'll read this, you know, the five pages. Wandering through the crowd so as to escape a drunken uncle of Ron's who seemed unsure whether or not Harry was his son, Harry spotted an old wizard sitting alone at a table. I feel called to going and sitting by the Alphias Doges. Mm-hmm. I think I always tell myself a story of like, they're probably happy to be sitting alone and like Mm -hmm. not wanting to impose myself. But I think just like selfishly, they probably have really good stories. Doge does. And like when you're at a wedding, you've entered into a social contract that you're like willing to engage with others. And, you know, it's, it's appropriate to go and sit next to other people. 
It's also just striking me that this is very non-quarantine action. I'm not going to have the opportunity to go and sit next Mm -hmm. to someone for a very long time. Yeah. What about you, Casper? What do you feel called to? Yeah, I had the same thing. I was thinking of my friend Sue, who's um, 87, I think now. I met her maybe three, four years ago. And the the thing that I'm thinking of is that when Harry talks to Alphias, that's a nice conversation, but it gets really juicy once Muriel joins. And so I'm thinking like, oh, maybe it's good if I seek out a conversation, not just one-on-one with someone, but try and get them with a contemporary. Like you get a whole new level of insight about their memories or or how they think about the world. So I'm just like, I want to set up a Zoom call with my friend Sue and some other person. (laughs) Casper feels called to social engineering an awkward conversation between two elderly people. It's not, I don't want to look for like intentionally awkwardness, but I do enjoy juiciness. So like. (laughs) Casper wants to sit on a Zoom call with two unsuspecting elderly people and under his breath go, bite, bite. No, more like spill the tea, spill the tea. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, yeah, I'm going to reach out to my friend Sue and and see how she's doing. (laughs) Thank you, Casper. Thank you, Vanessa. What a great sentence. It's such a good descriptive one. I love it. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for our voicemail, and today's voicemail is from Celia. Hi, I'm Celia. I'm 13, and I love your podcast. I've also listened to Twilight in Quarantine, and that's very funny. I'm just rereading book six while I'm in lockdown, and I noticed that it doesn't say anything about what happened to the girls that Crab and Quill impersonate. If Malfoy is as smart as Harry, Ron, and Hermione, then he may have thought as to make sure that there aren't two sets of girls walking around the school at the same time. This may include putting them in a closet, sending them, or doing whatever he needs to do. And after that, he probably won't let them out, just leave them there, because he's not really that considerate. Then after that, will the girls tell their parents or anyone else that they were abused like this? They may be too scared. So I would like to bless them and anyone else who people think are the weakest link in the chain and then get taken advantage of. You really are the strongest. Bye. Celia, your voicemail is amazing. You are very wise. The weakest links are the strongest links. Twilight and Quarantine is very funny. And Malfoy probably did treat those girls horribly. They probably have like a really bad story about this year and the things that happened to them. So thank you so much for that really beautiful voicemail. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Celia, and I'm so glad you're enjoying rereading. Casper, it's now time to offer a blessing. Who would you like to bless? 
So I can't even remember if we talked about this in great detail, but during Dumbledore's funeral at the end of book six, I was so full of loathing for the officiant. Oh, you talked about it. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Sometimes I can't remember what is just like a conversation in my head and one that I've shared with you. (laughs) But honestly, like here he does a really good job. And so I think I had maybe painted him in a broad brush having only seen him in action once and everyone has a bad day and so I want to bless the officiant for hosting and officiating a beautiful wedding for Bill and Fleur and I guess to anyone who feels like they've had an off day or like if someone saw just a snippet (laughs) they'd be like oh god it was awful Um, knowing that we'll have new experiences new chances to shine where we can really give our gifts and use our skills and share with the world the things that you know, that we can do really well. So I'm going to bless this nameless efficient. How about you? That was lovely. I'm going to bless Luna and I'm going to bless her for this moment where she immediately recognizes Harry, even though he is disguised as Barney and he's, she's the only one who does. And first, and this isn't even part of my blessing. This is just like a shout out. We're always teasing (laughs) Luna for like seeing things that quote unquote aren't real. And yet Mm -hmm. here she's able to see something that is real that like everybody else can't see. So just shout out. Awesome, Luna. But then it says Xenophilius, who was deep in conversation with an acquaintance, had missed the exchange between Luna and Harry. And he did not miss the exchange. Luna intentionally only told Harry that she knows it was Harry when her dad wasn't listening. And I just want to bless Luna for always being underestimated. Like this was a moment of tact. This was not a moment of luck. And she really can see things that other people can't see. And this to me was just a moment of Luna shining in her awesomeness. So I want to offer a blessing to everyone out there who feels underappreciated and feels like your gifts aren't being seen in the world. That is also true of Luna. And so you are in excellent company. And I just have faith that your gifts eventually will shine through. Hmm. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about this episode and to learn more about our mutual aid efforts. Or come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. We love our patrons. You can also leave us a review on iTunes and we will give you an extra shout out if you've managed to use the word what? Guillotine. <laughs> Send us a voicemail by emailing us at harrypottersacredtext.com by Casper's book at powerofritual.org. And from July 26th to August 2nd, we are hosting an immersive online summer camp. It's a choose your adventure and you can join us for the whole week, just the weekend, or one of the evening live shows. All of the information is at harrypottersacredtext.com and click on the big orange button. Next week, we'll be reading chapter nine, A Place to Hide, through the theme of relief. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Ball, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Celia for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and as always, Stephanie Purcell. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll be together again next week. I'm not wearing underwear today. I'm wearing underwear. I'm not wearing underwear today. Not that you probably care much about my underwear. Still, I'm so proud I gotta say that I'm not wearing underwear today.